Decreased vigor, healing ability, sensory acuity, muscle tone, bone density, and sexual energy, memory deficits, wrinkles, loss of beauty, friends, family, and independence, increased reliance on doctors and pills, and social isolation. We can mask the outward signs of the process or try to keep up old routines in spite of it, but we cannot change the fact that we are all moving toward physical decline and death. The best we can do, and it is a lot, is to accept this inevitability and try to adapt to it, to be in the best health we can at any age. To my mind, the denial of aging and the attempt to fight it are counterproductive. To age gracefully means to let nature take its course while doing everything in our power to delay the onset of age-related disease. Furthermore, I believe that aging brings rewards as well as challenges and losses. Yes, aging can bring frailty and suffering, but it can also bring depth and richness of experience, complexity of being, serenity, wisdom, and its own kind of power and grace. It is as desirable to accept aging as it is to take any other steps to improve your health throughout your life. To age gracefully requires that we learn and practice what we have to do to keep our bodies and minds in good working order through all the phases of life. Part 1. The Science and Philosophy of Healthy Aging 1. Immortality Our attitudes toward aging and our responses to the changes in appearance that aging brings are totally colored by our knowledge that we are moving inexorably toward death. We all sense the finiteness of life, and we all fantasize about living forever. Is it any wonder, then, that we put so much effort into denying the fact of our aging with cosmetics, plastic surgery, and verbal deceits? You look so much younger. And why are we so enthralled by proponents of anti-aging medicine who tell us that we can stop or even turn back the clock? Immortality is an alluring concept, but I wonder how many of us have thought through its meaning and implications. If you lived beyond the normal human lifespan, what would your life be like? I invite you to look at immortality with me through the lens of biology. Let's start with immortality on the cellular level. Until 1961, researchers believed that normal cells taken from the body and grown in laboratories should be able to grow and divide forever if they were provided with a constant supply of food and if their waste products were removed. In that year, Leonard Hayflick and Paul Moorhead at the Wistar Institute in Philadelphia demonstrated that this was not so, that all normal cells have a fixed limit on the number of times they can divide in order to replace themselves. This number is now known as the Hayflick limit. It turns out that the Hayflick limit varies from species to species and often correlates with lifespan. With a Hayflick limit of about 50 cell divisions, humans are the longest-lived mammals. Mice, which live about three years, have a limit of 15 divisions. For chickens, with an average lifespan of 12 years, the number is about 25. At the extreme of longevity, the Galapagos tortoise, which can live for 175 years, has a Hayflick limit of 110. HeLa cells, however, can divide indefinitely. They do not senesce. They continue to grow and divide as long as they have nutrients, oxygen, space, and means of getting rid of their wastes. HeLa cells were the first human cells to be successfully cultured outside the body in large numbers. Given their longevity, they revolutionized biological and medical research, 
HeLa cells ignore the Hayflick limit for human cells. In a sense, they are immortal. I was taught that HeLa was composed of the initial letters of the name of a woman, Helen Lane, who was said to be the original source of the cells. This turns out not to have been true. The real source was Henrietta Lacks, a poor African-American woman from Baltimore, whose story only came out years after her cells were growing in prodigious numbers everywhere. Lacks was born to a family of tobacco pickers in Virginia, moved to Baltimore in 1943 at the age of 23, married, and had five children in quick succession. Then, early in 1951, she noticed she had abnormal vaginal bleeding. She went to a clinic at the Johns Hopkins Hospital, where a doctor found a quarter-sized tumor on her uterine cervix. He biopsied it and sent a tissue sample off for diagnosis. It was malignant. Shortly afterward, Lax returned to the clinic to begin radium treatments. But before the first one, another tissue sample from the tumor was taken and sent this time to George Guy, head of tissue culture research at Johns Hopkins. Guy, with his wife Margaret, had been trying to find human cells that would grow well outside the body. His greater goal was to study cancer in order to find a cure. Henrietta Lacks's biopsy gave him exactly what he needed. Her cancer cells grew in test tubes as no other cells had ever grown, vigorously and aggressively. Of course, this did not augur well for their donor. Within months, Lax's tumor had metastasized throughout her body, creating tumors in all of her organs until she expired painfully in a racially segregated ward of the Johns Hopkins Hospital on October 4, 1951, eight months after the diagnosis. On the same day, George Guy went on national television to announce his breakthrough in cancer research. HeLa cells were soon in great demand. The guys sent vials of them to colleagues who sent them to other colleagues, and before long, Henrietta Lacks's cancerous cells were multiplying in laboratories throughout the world. They made possible the development of the first polio vaccine, were used to study the effects of drugs and radiation, genetic mechanisms, and many diseases, and were even sent off the planet on a space shuttle to see how cultured human cells would grow in zero gravity. If the HeLa cells worldwide were added up, they would total many, many times the weight of the human being in which they originated. The saga of Henrietta Lacks raises uncomfortable ethical and social questions because she never gave informed consent for her cells to be used in this way. Neither she nor her family was ever compensated for their use, and none of the scientists who worked with HeLa cells ever acknowledged her contribution. Why can HeLa cells go on living, perhaps forever? when the human being who produced them is long dead, and when most cells senesce after a fixed number of divisions? What determines how many times cells from different organisms can divide? The answers are encoded in DNA, our genetic material. DNA is contained in rod-like structures called chromosomes in the nucleus of every cell. When cells are about to divide in order to reproduce and make more tissue, Chromosomes have to replicate themselves so that each daughter cell will have the same genetic information as its parent cell. The DNA spirals that compose the chromosomes uncoil so that the genetic code can be copied to make duplicate strands, but each time this process occurs, something is lost, a piece of the end of each strand. Chromosomes terminate in a distinctive region of DNA called the telomere. The telomere is a repeating sequence of six letters or amino acids of DNA code, 
T-T-A-G-G-G, that might be translated in English as the end. This sequence repeats thousands of times in a young cell. The mechanics of DNA replication are such that a portion of the telomere is lost with each cell division. At the Hayflick limit, the length of remaining telomere is insufficient to allow further duplication of DNA strands to occur without serious genetic mishaps resulting. So there is no more cell division. Instead, there is senescence and eventually cell death. The discovery of telomeres and their possible relationship with the maximum lifespan of organisms has been one of the most important advances in the fields of genetics and biogerontology. It has allowed researchers to solve one of the great mysteries of cancer, namely how cancer cells become immortal and go on dividing until they kill the organism in which they arise. In 1985, Drs. Carol Greider and Elizabeth Blackburn reported the discovery of telomerase, an enzyme that adds more six-letter units to telomeres, making up for their normal loss during cell division. Although it almost never occurs in normal cells, most cancer cells produce it. Malignant transformation is a complex process involving the suppression of some genes and the activation of others. Many cancer cells die because their genetics and metabolism are hopelessly deranged or because they outgrow their blood supply. Others are weeded out by the body's defensive systems. Those that survive will run up against the Hayflick limit unless they acquire the ability to produce telomerase. A gene for telomerase expression is present in many cells, but is inactive. If a cancer cell manages to turn it on and thus produce the enzyme to lengthen telomeres, it can divide indefinitely, giving rise to a clone of malignant cells that can eventually become a...